Hey everybody, I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard and man does it get hard sometimes, that is why we do what we do on these podcast episodes. My name is Mitch Schultz and I am your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Uh, hey, today we're covering a topic I've not covered before. I've been eager to do so and that is on the issue of church discipline. Uh, a couple weeks ago, a pastor friend of mine at a church not too far from us, a Presbyterian church, uh, the pastor preached on this uh, theme or topic of church discipline. I listened to it and found it to be so helpful. I think this is something pastors should be preaching on, and I believe as you listen to this, particularly if you are a pastor, uh, you'll agree with that and perhaps make plans to, to do so. But we need to understand what the Bible says about uh, dealing with... Uh, with sin around us as sinful people ourselves? How does the gospel uh, help us to uh, find ourselves in a healthy community? And so I sat down with that pastor, Hobie Wood, and we had a good conversation about what church discipline means, what it involves, what, ne- what we need to do, what we need to understand. And, um, and so I'm excited to have you sit with me as we do this. Uh, Hobie, by the way, is married to Hannah. They have three children. He's a native of Tiger, Georgia, graduate of Clemson University, and also Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte. And uh, previous to this, he was a a pastor uh, or staff with uh, Campus Crusade uh, for Christ in Appalachian State University in Boom, North North Carolina. Uh, He is a rabid Clemson fan. That sounds like uh, someone who's dangerous, a cyclist, and a very novice fly fisherman. So I cannot wait for you to uh, join in with us. Grab your coffee, put up your feet, and listen in. All right, I have the privilege this morning of interviewing Hobie Wood, who is a pastor just a few miles away from me. But Hobie, thank you so much for taking the time and and uh, talking about this important topic of church discipline. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks, Mitch. I'm not the church discipline guy, but <laughs> as just an ordinary uh, pastor, I'm, I'm happy to, to wait. Yeah. yeah, you are disciplined, but you're not the church discipline expert is what you're saying, <laughs> right? Okay. That's All right. right, well, start out by, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, just briefly, your family and uh, where you're from and what you're doing. And I, I always like to ask as part of that question, what uh, drives you? What are you most passionate about in life? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I'm the pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church uh, in Clarksville, Georgia. We are a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America, the PCA. And uh, I grew up just north of here in Rabin County, Georgia, and um, went to school at Clemson in South Carolina, um, was on staff with a campus ministry called Crew, uh, formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ, in North Carolina for a time. Uh, Went to seminary in Charlotte, uh, Reformed Theological Seminary, and then uh, had the chance to to come and be a pastor here, right out of seminary, which was a surprise to me, um, and have had the privilege of being here for for 12 years now. Uh, My wife, uh, and I have three children, 10, eight, and two. So um, life is full, <laughs> to put it. I bet. I um, bet. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, 
our, our church, God has blessed us with some some numerical growth, and it was sort of re, a revitalization type work when we when we got here, and we we knew that, and He's been so merciful to um, to use a very broken person to um, yeah to to preach the same news that I need, which is the mm-hmm. gospel, and um, and to see yeah. some fruit. So yeah, it's a it's a great story, and uh, I'm even thinking it'd be a great podcast to do sometime. How uh, you took a church that was broken as well, and uh, you know, really fledgling and and perhaps even dying. And I know a lot of times churches are like, "Will we ever survive this? What will it take? What well, what was the key for you to?" Uh, again, you mentioned preaching the gospel. Was it just consistently what you did, and that's what you attributed attributed the survival to? I mean, it's God just decided not to let it die is all I can mm, say. I, love because, it. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm a guy that's fresh out of seminary coming here um, green. I had been, thankfully, I had been part of a healthy church um, when I was in seminary. And so I, I had seen something that was that was bearing good fruit. Um, but it's not like I knew anything. I mean, other than, you know, other than just the requisite seminary education. And so... Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we we showed up and we just decided, okay, we're gonna we're gonna preach the Bible and focus on Jesus in every passage and um, and see what God will do. We're gonna pray a lot and hopefully we will all get on the same page, me and this little core group of people. And um, yeah, and just yeah, God, that's very so great. cool. So, yeah, I love that. I love. It. I'd love to circle back and, and talk about that. Yeah, so true. yeah, what would you say you're most passionate about? Yeah, I, I really do love preaching. Uh, I, I'm, that doesn't mean that I'm good at it. I'm not, um, but I do love it. I enjoy the prep. I enjoy the delivery. And I I love the idea of, I think I got this from John Piper at some point in my younger years, but um, the idea of what, what would happen if I went to one place, Lord willing, and preached the scriptures faithfully for 30, 40 years, what could God do with that? Um, that's, mm. that's the thing that kind of gets me up in the morning is, mm-hmm. um, I'm not a, I'm not an incredibly creative guy. I don't, I don't have great ministries to design and come up with, you know, and, uh, grow the church. But I, I really do love not mm. just the preparation and act of preaching, but the, it gives me hope. It's like the only thing that I'm optimistic about in life, probably. Mm, I love it. Yeah, is, I love that. That's, uh, that's awesome. That God will actually bless the preaching of his word. Yeah. So. Well, I, I've heard you preach many times, and I, I hate to break the news to you, but you are very effective <laughs> in what you do. I'll so. never believe it. Uh, <laughs> no, that's good. Keep it that way. <laughs> you were much better. Yeah. Uh, I do love yeah. it. Yeah, uh, I, I can tell. Well, let's talk about church discipline. How would you define it? Yeah, I mean, writ large, church discipline, I, th- I think people, when they think of that phrase, they tend to think of a very um, small portion of what is actually church discipline. They think of the punitive side or the mm-hmm. the formal process side, which, you you know, could everything from uh, a warning to someone to suspension from the sacraments to even excommunication. That's typically what people think. When I think of mm-hmm. church discipline, it's actually... I, the the metaphor that helps me is um, like going to the doctor, uh, physical health. You're actually taking care of your physical health every time you eat a healthy meal, every time you, you know, brush your teeth and do 
some exercise and do all the ordinary things that promote health. That's, that's, um, that's part of your physical care. And there are Mm -hmm. times when something's sick, you know, something's ailing and you've got to go to the doctor and sometimes you've got to have medicine. Sometimes you've got to have surgery. So showing up to church every Sunday is part of church discipline. It's just the preventative care, right? It's the eating well and, uh, having a good exercise plan, uh, being part of the community of the, of the church is part of that. All the ordinary kind of church things I think Mm -hmm. are, are part of the discipline process. We just don't think of it that way. And then there are these times when something unhealthy is happening. You know, there, there's sin that has not been repented of or has not even been acknowledged or seen, uh, there's destruction happening. And then that's where we, we move more into the, um, more formal, um, Matthew 18, kind of getting into the steps of how, how do we address something that if we leave yeah. it will actually kill us or kill the church, right? Yeah, it, it affects the health of the church, doesn't it, when when sin is not addressed. Yeah, so Matthew 18 is really the common template that's used. Uh, so how would you sum it up, what Matthew 18 instructs us to do? Yeah, um, I do think that it's so uh, a couple of things. Uh, the presumption is that someone has sinned and that that person doesn't necessarily know it or acknowledge it. They haven't repented of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that will prevent a lot of witch hunt type activity. You know, if somebody is has acknowledged that they've sinned against you and they've tried to repent and forgive and reconcile and you're still coming after them, then th- that's that's something totally different. Um and so in this case, someone has sinned, and I, I think of it as Matthew 18 tries to help us start with the circle of people involved very small. So it's between you and your brother. Mm-hmm. You go to him yourself and try to resolve it. And if that's not working, if, if it doesn't get through, then you widen the circle just a little bit more. You bring you know two or three with you. If that doesn't work, you widen the circle a little bit more. Somehow you bring the church uh, into the picture. And, and if that's not working, then you, you wide so you widen the circle until there are enough people speaking into this person's life that they're, they're just confronted with their sin and they mm-hmm. either have to, something has to give. Um, so I would say that's the process that's laid out in Matthew 18. And of course the goal of it is what he says to gain your brother. Mm-hmm. It's, it's to, it, it's never intended to be punitive in the sense of uh, vengeance or uh, execution of judgment, even it's, it's intended to be restorative. So I'm I'm really, I'm really fascinated uh, with this uh, to identify, you know, because again, we're all sinners and we can always look at ourselves, look at others and identify sin when it comes to formal church discipline. This is a question I was going to ask a little later, but I'll ask it now. Are we talking about things that are, directly affecting the church that are happening within the context of church? Or are we talking about, you know, we know someone who is, is has done something and it's hurt, maybe the family, and it's not necessarily happening within the context of church. Uh, help, help us there, because I think that's important to, if we're, you know, to have this conversation to know uh, exactly what, what kinds of things are we, are we wanting to address. Yeah, and I, I would say it's actually, it seems to be a both and. 
mm-hmm. uh, rather than an either or. I, I think that uh, it's certainly the case that so Matthew 18 is interesting because it's he's really not laying out a um, an ecclesiological paradigm for us. This is not a step by step instruction for how to set up your particular church government and how you handle church discipline. And yet it does provide the the foundation for any process that a church does come up with. Mm-hmm. And so it, this this process in Matthew 18 is, is very effective for personal uh, issues that come up, but it is effective too for within a church setting uh, when, when you do hear that, you know, someone has uh, committed such a sin that it has, um, that it's um, affecting their family, affecting their marriage, affecting their children. Uh, and again, the, the key is there's no repentance and there's no acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's almost a, um, if you're, let's just take an example here. If, if someone has committed adultery against a spouse, um, maybe the spouse has confronted the adulterous spouse, but nothing's happening. Yeah. And they won't, they won't acknowledge it. Then um, it's a gift to that spouse to be able to come to someone in the church and usually leadership and say, okay, he, he's not, he or she's not listening to me. I, yeah. I need other people involved in this with me. So I think it's everything from those personal sorts of inner family or, you know, situations all the way to something that has um, fully affected the life of the church. Mm-hmm. Because the reality is the person who's committed sin privately, eventually that sin will affect the church publicly. Yeah. Eventually. Right. It's the, um, the, the quiet, silent sickness that eventually kills you. Well, um, you, you don't see it and then you do because the person's dead. Right. Like yeah. That's, yeah. That's, and yeah. and I hear I hear a lot of hope here. I mean, for example, a, a wife whose husband is not responding when she has addressed him one on one. She she knows she has a, a a community that she can go to and shepherds that she can go to. Because I think a lot of times, I, as, you know, I've pastored 30 some years and people, live, they keep these these kinds of things really quiet. You know, they don't share it with others and it's it's destroying them. Uh, but for them to know that they can go somewhere and and the, let's say the elders in the church can will then talk to the husband that that offers a lot of hope to to the person that's really struggling here. So I hope people hear that that this is a an opportunity uh, to get support and encouragement and good shepherding. Yeah, absolutely. That's I think that's how it's intended to work. It's. Um, you know, Americans, we tend to be pretty radically individualistic. I'll handle it myself. Mm-hmm. And we're consistently confronted in the New Testament with the fact that the church is <clears throat> the us, not me. And and we're intended to to deal with life together. And and not just in the loose fellowship, but that there are structures in place to to help with that. I mean, half the point of church government is not just so that we can be very efficient in how we conduct meetings, but yeah. But to uh, to provide a little bit of structure to the family, so that yeah, when when something is blowing up at home, I I know what brothers and sisters to go to, so that I'm not having to deal with this by myself. Yeah, yeah, and and for you, you yeah, and so you you preached on this, which is how I uh, you know connected with you on this particular topic, and and so it's so important for the pastor, the leadership, to be uh, informing 
the congregation on on this you know the the, the spiritual value of this but also how your church does it it's a uh, there's an educational feature to it. Why, why do so few churches do this? Oh, um, let me count the ways. Um, <laughs> I, I, it's really difficult. It's really difficult to mm-hmm. do. Um, I, I think that, and two sides of it, culturally speaking, we, we do live in a, I take care of my life. You take care of your life kind of mentality. And that the, the life of the church is, willfully invasive um in a good Mm -hmm. way but so we're just resistant to that inside the church i think that uh, yeah as i said it's difficult it's been tried and it has blown up in people's faces and i think that you know if you have enough horror stories floating around out there then that causes folks to shy away from the hard work um i also think that we have principles in the new testament but um, there's not a, an incredibly precise formula to follow that always works every time. I mean, Matthew 18 is the closest thing that we get. Um, and, and even it, there's a thousand gray area questions that come up mm-hmm. when you're trying to deal with Matthew 18. So I think that even for churches that desire to do it, they might start down a road of trying to do church discipline with someone and they just, they hit a wall and they, they're not sure what to do. Yeah. Next. yeah. Well, that, and that's why one of the reasons I think that a lot of churches don't do it is because it doesn't, it, the circle's often not complete. You know, you, you approach someone uh, with the intent. Again, we got to remember here that the, the motivation here is to restore is, is to see health, to see the gospel at work. Uh, but I found many times when we would approach someone they would just get mad and leave the church. That's right. And and what happens then? You yep. can't do much else, right? Yeah, and and that happens a lot. Is um, you you try this, the person just leaves, and then you feel like you have no recourse. What do we do next? You know, the other thing yeah. is that I think sometimes um, uh, we don't do it because not just it's difficult, it's complicated. I think sometimes we don't understand where sin leads, um, not only in a person's individual life, but inside the church. I, I don't know that we always understand that sin left unchecked only grows. Mm-hmm. It's just neutral, right? And so there's, it's going to cause yeah, more. Yeah, James, James 1, yeah, it gives birth to sin and then exactly. death. Yeah. And so I, I think that we might sweep something under the rug because we think it won't come back and bite us later. And it almost always comes back and, and bites us later. Right. Yeah. And, and one, one point to make here, I, you probably have done this. I, I have several times when, when that happened that someone went to another church, I would call the pastor of that. You know, so if I know what church they've gone to, I've called the pastor and say, Hey, just in confidence here, I want to tell you that, uh, you know, so-and-so uh, has, has gone to your church and he did not, follow through on our desire to see him restored. And, um, and, and then there's nothing more you can do after that. Right. It's up but, to the, to, to that right. pastor and their yeah. leadership to know what to do. Yeah. I haven't had to do that yet, but we do every time we have new members, if they have a previous church and we mm-hmm. tell us and, and we, then we follow through with it. We, we contact the previous church just to make sure were they members in good standing? Is there anything we need to know? Um, you know, is there is there some reason mm. that wouldn't be re- that would that they shouldn't be received into our membership? Mm-hmm. Um, I do find that we're not there. 
there are some churches that do that and try to make sure that uh, when a person transfers or moves their membership, that that there's some follow through with that. But that's mm. there, it seems. So. Interesting. That's really interesting. Uh, in your sermon, you talked about the two motivations for uh, church discipline. I'd like for you to expand on it. Uh, number one, loving confrontation and merciful forgiveness. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So loving confrontation, what I was getting at there is, is the idea that, um, uh, again, it, it depending on your personality, there are some who they love confrontation and it's hardly ever going to be loving because the goal is to win, right? The mm-hmm. goal is and the argument, win the fight, be the person who's self-righteous and is, and is looking good, make the other person look bad. So for that person, um, they've got to wrestle with the loving side of that. What's the goal of this? Why, why are you, why should you do this? You know, and, and reckon with the fact that this is, uh, when, when we're approaching someone about their sin, it's, it's out of love and it's for reconciliation and restoration, uh, not just to win. Um, and for the other person who is probably less likely to confront, and, and I think that in our culturally speaking, that might be maybe the way to say it is we're good at confronting online. We're not good at confronting in person. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I think most people don't want to confront in person uh, because it doesn't feel loving. Mm-hmm. Right. If, if I, and, and it feels like meddling and I shouldn't get into people's business and, why can't we just all do our own thing? And and to that person, I would say you you've got to reckon with the fact that to leave someone um, in sin, to to leave someone with a, a hidden cancer that they can't even see is actually the least loving thing that you can do. You know, you've, you've yeah, got to grapple yeah. with what what's actually happening in this person's life. It's not live and let live. If you don't confront, it's actually you're. It's, it's live and let die in that moment. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, so loving confrontation. And then then the question is, so what happens uh, if I do confront? And let's say that I get it right, you know, and I, I'm, I'm loving and I'm, I'm clear and I'm, I'm faithful. Um, what do you do then? And that, that gets to Peter's question, Lord, how often will my, brother, will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And the famous answer, you know, 70 times seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you're going to have to keep forgiving and and being merciful. And honestly, that's probably that's probably the real hard part, especially if you are the offended party. If someone has uh, has sinned against you in a heinous way, um, figuring out how to forgive them can honestly it can be a lifelong process. Mm-hmm. It, it can take ages to to wade through the levels of hurt and emotion. Now, obviously, depending on the the level of the offense. But um, so, yeah, so that was the I wanted to convey a framework of, of those two sides, loving confrontation, merciful forgiveness. And um, and then then the, we got to figure out how to do that. Mm-hmm. that that's yeah. actually the hard part. Does your does your church have a a policy on this, like a, you know, a written process that when this does, yeah. this happens, this is how we do it. And OK, yeah. So part of the. Part of my attraction to the Presbyterian Church in America was the government structure, the ecclesiology. And uh, we have something called the Book of Church Order, which is a big blue book <clears throat> that lays out a specific process based on Matthew 18 and, and the other passages that bring up the idea of church discipline. But 
it tries to help you through some of the gray areas and, and puts a process to it. Some of it is just wisdom. And, um, you know, how much time do you allow between uh, this point and this point? What are what are what is considered a private offense? What's a public offense? If it's mm-hmm. public, how do you communicate to the whole church? If it's private, what do you communicate? And even our process, as detailed as it is, still doesn't cover everything. Yeah. But it's incredibly helpful to to know that I have I have the book <laughs> that I can turn to and try to mm-hmm. try to figure out where we're at. So. Yeah, I don't want to put you on a spot on this, but can you give any general examples of how you've seen this work where it's you know been an encouragement, there's been healing, there's been restoration and celebration as a result of it? Yeah, um, mercifully, we have not had a ton of formal church discipline at CPC since I've been here. Um, we, we have had some and yeah, w- without using any names or, or p- particular situations, um, we have confronted some folks on some specific sin patterns, mm-hmm. followed our process, and um, and and we've seen God bring people to repentance, and um, and and sometimes in spite of what we assumed would happen. I mean, so this is part of the problem of sometimes being a pastor can make you slightly cynical because yeah, you 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 do see people's. I mean, I you know. I'm confronted with my own sin, which which can make me uh, a little cynical. And then I'm confronted with other people's sin. And I, I can lose hope in the gospel and the power of the spirit at work. And so we, we've had a situation where we assumed that this was going to go all the way to excommunication. We assumed it. Mm. All of us, all the elders. And we saw the Lord intervene. And in the eleventh hour, the the person was willing to do the thing that that person needed to do. Yeah, yeah, uh, that, that, and, that's and, so encouraging. Yeah, yeah, we had that's laid so out a specific desire that we wanted to see for for the, for mm-hmm. this situation, and and we thought, well, this is never going to happen. And then, lo and behold, the Lord worked. And so that how encouraging that was for us to see God. God is the one who shepherds his own flock, right? It's it's the good shepherd who who tends to the sheep. We're just the under shepherds. And yeah. the under shepherds yeah. had gotten pretty hopeless. And then the good shepherd actually stepped yeah. in. Yeah, um, I love that. Which was a great thing to behold. And yeah. so yeah, we've seen that. And then we've had other um we've had some that were less encouraging. We've had some that we've confronted and and they've just left, you know. Yeah. And we've done what we could, but there comes a point where yeah. Okay. We've, we've done everything we know to do. We, our consciences are clear and now we just kind of have to move along, but yeah. for the most part, it's been encouraging. Well, it shows the gospel at work, doesn't it? You can point to that and say, see, that's, that's what happens when, uh, you know, we see ourselves as sinners and uh, we've been forgiven. I mean, again, the gospel is what's driving this and uh, you know, for, uh, forgive us as we forgive others um who've sinned against us and um it, it's a story that that can be told i I'll, I'll share one particular situation in a church that i was uh, on staff but it was my responsibility to uh i was like the hatchet guy you know the the guy that was do the stuff that was messy as, <laughs> as an associate in this church <laughs> Um, and there was a petition going around in the church, and it wasn't even subtle. It was happening within the the lobby, and it had to do with music. And there was one guy who was a ringleader, 
uh, for this. And I called him to my office and, and talked to him about it. And uh, he came back to me and, and repented. I mean, he was overwhelmed with sorrow. Uh, he was also a teacher of a popular class. And, and he said, he offered this. He said, I think I need to step down from teaching for six months. And we said, yeah, I think, I think that would be good because it demonstrates repentance and humility. Uh, and that, that was beautiful to see. And we didn't expect that outcome because there was a lot of hardness and, and uh, you know, the motivation was really to be divisive. And, and yeah. we sought that. So that was a miracle. And it, you mentioned earlier the importance of prayer. Uh, that happened in that case. So we spent a lot of time in prayer. The elders were praying as they knew I was, I was uh, you know, talking to this individual. Uh, but then I've seen it totally the opposite. You know, I pastored a church, uh, followed a guy that had had moral failure, and uh, he never repented. He never went through the process of restoration through the denomination. And and I was left pastoring a wounded church. Yeah. And so, you know, you mentioned earlier that uh, when there isn't repentance, it's like, you know, leaven that can spread and and really hurt and uh, but the opposite could have happened. I think if he had been repentant, remorseful, and had the opportunity to express that to the church, that church would have been a healthier church. Yeah. Uh, so this is this is important. I mean, it's serious stuff. It is. Yeah, and and yeah, it's it's so encouraging when you see the Lord work and you know go and get that one lost sheep. Um, mm-hmm. and it, you know, and I mentioned how we had become cynical. Uh, there's a, the flip side of cynical is realistic and discerning. Mm-hmm. And so as much as we can slip over into cynicism, there is a, sometimes you just, you do know, you, you know, the patterns that got a person to where they're at mm-hmm. and you can kind of tell when they seem very unwilling to, to unravel yeah. those. And yeah, so, that parable wow. of the lost sheep, is not about salvation, is it? it? It's about discipline, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, because it's it's a sheep, right? Yeah. It's a, yeah. Yeah. He's a believer. It's the sheep that has gone astray, and and I, I think that it's no mistake that that parable in Matthew's gospel is the passage just before the the church discipline passage. So it's yeah. almost like yeah. Jesus saying, "Here's the here's what I'm up to. I'm I'm the good shepherd that goes after the uh, the the one lost sheep." Um. And then here is how that plays out on the on the horizontal level inside the church. And he lays out mm-hmm. in Matthew. So, so I, I mentioned in the sermon that it's sometimes the way the good shepherd goes after the sheep is to is to send some other sheep after them. Mm-hmm. You know, and that uh, that's the process. Yeah. And the beauty, you know, the passage passage expresses this. The angels in heaven rejoice. Uh, so, again, you know, you want you want to make angels happy. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, let, you let's certainly see don't want to make them angry. <laughs> no, don't want to make them angry. Definitely not. <laughs> hey, no. what, what have just some logistics here? Because I experienced this in one case. What if the uh, the person that you're approaching for discipline again with the hope of restoration, so that there's a a story of the gospel told? What if that person is not a church member? Yeah, um, I I do think that. At least for our church, I'll speak. I'll speak for our church. Um, our formal process that is guided by our book of church order, which is you know uh, details that are derived from scripture, helping us have a process that would be reserved for a church member. You know, someone mm-hmm. who has in our church, we ask you to take vows of membership, 
you know, and one of those vows is that you will pursue the peace and purity of the church. Um, not only that you'll believe the gospel, blah, 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 mm -hmm. live a faithful Christian life. But so, um, so, you know, for those who have taken those vows publicly in our church and have become members, then um, when they take the vows, what they're asking is, Hey, if I go astray, come and get me. Yeah. When yeah. you tell them that, that that's what you're committing to. You're, you're essentially lashing yourself to the mast and saying, whatever, whatever I say, don't listen to me, you know, don't, mm -hmm. like, don't let me get down. Um, I do think that because the principle in Matthew 18 is broader than just a particular church government structure that we can follow Matthew 18 among professing brothers and sisters. Um, and, and, and that we should, mm. um, I, I think that it should be normal that if I have a brother who's not a member of our church, but he sinned against me, that it would be normal that I would go to him and, and try to see if he will listen to me and gain him yeah. back and follow the same process. Now, you know, the, the difference is, um, if I do that, when it comes to telling it to the church, things get a little bit murky. If the person that you are trying to confront that has sinned against you is not a member of your church. When, when mm -hmm. it comes to this idea of telling it to the church that introduces complication and yes. Um, and I'm not, I'm not exactly certain how you do that or, or you know, when and if, you know, all, all this depends on the hypotheticals. Um, is this person a member of another church? Um, you know, and I'm not sure, but yeah, I think that the principle applies. Um, and then, you, you know, there's plenty, again, more gray areas where there are questions, but. Um, yeah. And that's probably where you confer with one another as elders and, and really seek the Lord for wisdom. In, yeah. In and, that, and that's something so. that I would underscore with this is that as much as Matthew 18 is clear and we have the rest of the scripture and we have, you know, our book of church order that helps us lay out more of a process. Mm -hmm. You really do have to think of church discipline as a case by case situation that the, the rules yeah. just don't always apply exactly in the same way to every situation. And so that just requires, you know, pastoral discernment and we believe in the Holy spirit, right? We, we yeah. leading in wisdom when it comes to these, these sorts of things. Yeah, I, I love that verse in Ephesians where it says admonish with all wisdom and understanding the admonishing takes a lot of wisdom yeah. and understanding of the situation. It's going to vary in, in different cases. Yeah, I, I had one situation where uh, I confronted a guy who was actually involved in ministry in the church, but he wasn't a member. And I told him I was going to, it was quite a serious issue, and I was going to tell the elders about it. I felt like I was obligated to. I got a letter in the mail uh, saying that if I did, uh, he had a lawyer uh, on on retainer. <laughs> so I called, I called our district superintendent and my, my DS said, well, is he a member or not? And I said, no, he says, well, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so that I, I don't feel like that was right. That was not the right response. Because uh, yeah. again, if you see the trajectory of where it went for him, uh, yeah. it, I think he could have been saved and spared of, uh, of a lot more heartache. If he'd been, if, first of all, if he'd be willing to have been disciplined too, you know, that, that's, that's part of sin, isn't it? Is a resistance that's to, right. to be admonished and corrected. Yeah. What is um, how, that Everybody has their own inner lawyer, you know, that's yeah. ready to come to our, our defense. I think, I think that's very true.
Yeah, yeah. How do you process communicating to the uh, to the congregation? How do you decide whether it's going to be a public announcement, private? How do you discern that? Yeah, so uh, that's a great question, and it's one that I wrestle with quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in a church where where I was an intern and and on staff during seminary days. They had a situation where a young lady had become pregnant out of wedlock. She was a member of the church and they, they did a great job. They, they, they went to her and talked to her about the sin. She admitted it, repented, uh, fully cooperative. Just was, it was a, it was a very, uh, encouraging gospel situation where she, she really did come back to the Lord as a result of this. Mm. Um, now, you know, the thing about becoming pregnant is that it's private until it's not, because mm-hmm. it's going to become public. And so the the elders did a really good job of, they wrote a letter to the congregation, all the membership, and explained what they had done with the young lady and explained how she had been a repentant and cooperative. And and they said, um, this, you know, you you will notice that she's pregnant. And that's what's happened. This this will become public. She's mm. going to have a baby. And so we wanted to encourage you um, not only of where she's at and what we've done, but we wanted to communicate so that you wouldn't be tempted to gossip, so that you wouldn't be tempted to, mm. you know, to, to or, so that you would actually know how to interact with her. You know, you need to mm. interact with her as a repentant sister, not as um, a pariah, you know, uh, this kind of thing. So Mm-hmm. I thought they did a good job with that. We have not had a situation that was public enough that we've had to actually communicate something. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a, it's a wisdom issue. Um, yeah. Yeah. If it, if it is something that's public, you, you, it certainly demands a public communication. If it's something that's private, it might, it might have the ability to remain private between the individual and maybe the elders, unless it's, you know, led to excommunication. And then yeah. in that situation, I, I, this is where I wrestle between my, my philosophical, theological polity um, conviction versus practicality. I think that if you've taken covenant vows to be a member of a church and a part of that covenant community is being excommunicated because of sin, mm-hmm. the whole church needs to know. Yeah. And I'm not certain how to do that. You know, you yeah. know so mm-hmm. thankfully, I haven't been forced into a situation where I've had to make a decision on it. But yeah, yeah. And sometimes that's, uh, you know, churches deal with that when it's a pastor or someone on staff where, yes, you, you have there there's needs to be some explanation of why the guy's not there anymore, for example. Yeah. Yeah, so. right. OK, well, good. Those are great <laughs> answers. Um, so a church is pastors listening to this maybe some elders and they're they're convicted that man we we've been sloppy with this we've not taken this seriously uh where that where should they start yeah well so i think you i mean uh, you know the logical <clears throat> answer is start with the scripture so uh, mm-hmm. i think it's time to as a leadership i would do a deep dive on not just matthew 18 but all the passages that talk about church discipline and if if that's a weak spot in your ecclesiology, it would be a good time to 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 take a, a good study um, from the scripture. I think that there are books to read that lay out the principles really well. Um, I also think that, especially if you're in more of a non-denominational 
uh, you don't have denominational resources to help yeah, you with yeah. this, go find a denomination that does have this spelled out, mm-hmm. written down. You know, we we the church has been around for a little bit and has done this for a while. So there are others who have come up with their processes before, and we don't have to reinvent the wheel. So yeah, yeah, and I think a great way for a pastor to become informed on this is to preach on it. And so he's benefiting, congregations benefiting by yeah. by communicating that uh, to them. And um, I love this too, in yeah. addition, I, I think that one of the biggest things that, um, I can imagine that there might be a pastor who he and a, maybe a, another staff member or elder um, agree that this should happen, but there might be some other elders who are reluctant and who mm. aren't sure that we should be doing this kind of thing. And uh, to, to that person, I would say, um, it would be wise to spend some time talking about how, what does it, what does it mean for a person to sin against God? Because ultimately, that's the that's the the depth of it. Is this is, mm-hmm. this is sin against the Lord, and it's incredibly serious, and it's it it really isn't meddling for us to get involved with this person and their sin. It's it's us trying to uh, help them come back to Him. Their problem isn't with us. Their problem is with Him. Yeah. And we're trying to help them. So, so even spending some time talking about, uh, you know, uh, dealing with the uh, uh, Psalm fifty-one, where David says, "Against you and you only have I sinned." Mm-hmm. Says that to the Lord. Well, didn't he sin against Uriah and Bathsheba and all Israel? Well, yeah. But until he settled that bigger question of sinning against the Lord, the rest of it was not going to make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So I think that's and a- that's. Yeah, and 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 that's countered or balanced. Uh, you know, we we misquote the 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 statement in Matthew eighteen. You know, where two or three are gathered gathered together, I'm there in the midst of them. Uh, that's the promise that yeah, it's against them. But when we seek to repent or confront, God is there. Yeah, uh, the one who's been most offended is there, uh, eager to forgive. I mean, he yeah. he is there with open arms, and and so there's a beautiful sense in that. Uh, yeah, that right. promise. Yeah. Well, good. Well, uh, Hobie, thanks so much. Great conversation. I, I love to end by asking my guests if they were interviewing me on this subject, what one question would you ask me? Well, yeah. No one, no one has stumped me yet with that question. <laughs> well, today's not going to be the day. I'm, I'm not smart enough to no. stump you, Mitch. Um, I, I do think that the communication bit is the thing that I wrestle with the most. And the thing that I'm least clear on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be my question for you is how do you know when this should be communicated to the whole church? When should this remain private? Um, because that to me, that's the, if you mishandle that part, you could create explosions inside. Yeah. Um, if, if it's oh, necessary yeah, to do it, I've I want to do that. it, but if yeah. it's unnecessary, I don't want to do it. Yeah. You know? so that, yeah. That's a question I would have for you. Yeah. I mean, you've heard the expression that the circle of, uh, forgiveness or, conf- uh, is as, or confession is as broad as the circle of sin. So you confess to those who you've sinned against. Yeah. And, uh, if, I mean, if it's a marriage issue and the person, you know, the husband's not willing to be reconciled, the elders have been involved. And, uh, and there needs to be, you know, an announcement. Uh, I think that's a little bit too broad, too public, because it's, uh, it's more of a private matter. Uh, you know, if someone steals money from the church and has run off and they've been confronted uh, and they're not, 
you know, willing to repent, then that that's, I think, an opportunity to let the whole church know that this has happened. Uh, yeah, I've, I've seen it done right. I've seen it done wrong. I will tell you this, it, it is always messy. Uh, you know, we, we have confronted people and as a result, people got mad and we've lost a choir leader and then the choir collapses because we had to deal with a particular issue. So, yeah, I mean, like you, it's, it, there's not a clear cut answer, but I, I think you have to ask who has been affected by this. Yeah. And, uh, and then you're identifying who is informed uh, by the process. Uh, you know, you, you get visitors coming and then they hear this announcement made. It's like, whoa, what's going on here? This never affected me. Why am I being told this? You know, <laughs> right, yeah. you know yeah, it, so. it, it creates such strange dynamics. That's why I'm, I'm, I hedge the most on that. that bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, a, it's a case by case basis, but I, I think you have to have uh, you have to confer with a good number of people. And, um, and then also, I think in those conversations, there things need to be written down yeah. and, uh, and there's an agreement together. That way, if you, if you feel like it didn't go well, at least you can say, hey, we sought the Lord's leading on this. We prayed about it and we, we still believe it was the right thing to do. Yeah. Uh, but, but this is where you do leave the, the outcome to, uh, to the Lord Jesus. And uh, the story might not be over. It might have seemed like it was messy and a failure, but we don't know. Yeah. So, right. all right. Well, good. Any final thoughts? No, no. Thank you for having me on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. You did a great job. Good conversation and hope it'll be challenging and encouraging to, uh, to those who listen. Thanks so much, Obi. Appreciate sure. it. Yeah. Thanks, Mitch. Yeah. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this Before You Quit podcast. If you have any questions or comments you want to make, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. And also, I'm excited in the next few weeks, my co-host, Dan Stegman, will be joining me on more podcasts. Uh, I'm also going to be excited to share with you of how he is uh, teaming up with me in this uh, ministry of mine, Fruitful Vine Ministry. So until next time, stay encouraged to be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. <music>